Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. We're going to talk about collecting in the dark, in the sense of having no power, but I'll bring some other aspects into it. Thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huxman Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. I'm going to allude to the sponsors, each one of them, how they affected my particular situation of how I dealt as an advanced collector in the dark, no power, rolling blackouts that were unpredictable, some in the day, some in the night. For those of you who are wondering, it, it wound up making the virtual dinners that I had announced and scheduled postponed. I'm going to reschedule those later on after the coast is completely clear. We're still doing cleanup here. There is a wait list in case you want to be considered. These two are full, but they'll be next ones. And so if you're interested in the concept, just let me know by email, drjamesbeckett at uh, gmail.com. So you've heard of cooking with gas. We could cook with gas because our gas still worked, even when the electricity was out. But uh, washing dishes without power, washing dishes without water, <laughs> not easy. So we pretty much had unreliable power last week and uh, no water most of the time. Does this mean I couldn't be a collector? So it wasn't a completely lost week, but I'm very inefficient. I certainly had limitations, but it points out that hobbies uh, are a wonderful way to pass the time when you're not uh, dealing with burst pipes. I had a situation back, you know, this was had to be 40 years ago, where I was trying to buy a collection and I went in and the guy behind the counter that had the cards was blind and he was selling these cards and he was a blind watch repairman in Toledo, Ohio. So I thought this can't be real. Well, I watched him with his uh, dexterity break apart these nice watches and uh, repair them. Now he did have an assistant who was his wife for the non-technical stuff. So when I gave him uh, cash or whatever I did, she could say, now this is a $20 bill, not a $5 bill or whatever. But I just thought if somebody had bad vision, how would they enjoy the hobby? I think it'd be very difficult. That's not the same as being in the dark and without power, but just reminded me that we've got five or six senses. Your ears, we needed our ears without the power because we heard rushing water, knowing that's a problem. Taste, that doesn't really apply to the hobby too much. I could smell when they were soldering uh, some of the pipe. That was a welcome. That means we were getting it fixed. The sense of touch. I was wondering, could I detect a counterfeit card in the dark? Could I detect the feel of the cardboard having touched so many millions of cards? Could I detect a counterfeit T206 compared to a real one? I'm not so sure. Then there's a sixth sense, what my perceptive wife certainly has. The sixth sense, I think, is hard to describe, but in my analytical mind, includes thinking. And that's a sense that I can do without power in the dark. I can contemplate. I can analyze. I spent some time thinking about future podcast topics, issues, thinking big thoughts, a silent strategic retreat. But again, certainly limitations. And it brought to mind a, an old friend, Lee Malazzo, who's now passed away, one of the early collectors and, and dealers, more of a collector than a dealer in Dallas. But he was paraplegic, so he was wheelchair bound. So he'd get around, but and this wasn't a motorized wheelchair. This was 45 years ago. So he got around. He was an archivist at SMU. So he loved old paper products and cards, vintage cards, very knowledgeable. And he was very successful at buying collections of cards. In his work as an archivist, he was dealing with ephemera and other kinds of sport and non-sport stuff. He'd just say, if you're interested in getting rid of this stuff, I'd be happy to take it off your hands. And he'd get the stuff. But once he got it, he was a very tough trader, a real student of the hobby, pretty scholarly one of the pioneers of the hobby in the Dallas area have been passed away now. You can't sort cards in the dark. <laughs> I love to sort cards. 
I've done episodes about sorting cards. In the daytime, I could go next to a big window. Problem is, uh, some of the cards I have when I'm looking through, as people know, I'm well-versed on parallels and color variations and those kind of things. Well, that's hard to detect if you're just looking at uh, natural light that's compromised at certain points of the day. My uh, awesome wife also found this uh, flashlight thing that can go around your neck so you don't have to hold it. So that would be helpful, but it's still flashlight and not uh, a powerful light. So what other projects could I do when I was having compromised light, compromised power? Number one thing I could do is I could, like I said, think big thoughts, think about the things that are good in the hobby, things that are bad in the hobby, try to come up with some entrepreneurial solutions. I listen to podcasts. And just to go through the list of my sponsors, I can tell you that I spent time prepping my next BGS submission. I spent time on ComC because I could use my cellular iPad to monitor my account. I went through the Heritage Auctions and Hugston Scott upcoming auctions and contemplated what, what I might send there for submissions when I get ready to do that and what I might bid on next time. Then I sorted cards from Topps Panini and Upper Deck, obviously, and, and other manufacturers too. And I got an email from Rob Veris and I listened to Mike Fruitman on uh, Sports Cards Live. So still staying in touch with my sponsors. It brought to mind, as I was spending a little more time on ComC, is that I realized I was able, since I had more time in, in the dark, <laughs> but I had a battery-operated um, cellular iPad, I could study the offers I received a little bit more analytically. Two things came up that I hadn't thought about as much before, is that when somebody on ComC makes an offer for my stuff for X percent of what my asking price is, when I respond very quickly, I either accept it or counter or reject it, but uh, almost always I accept. But if I don't accept, and I don't know if I have this reputation now, but now I think these people making offers, they get nervous if I don't do anything. I was busy, so I didn't do anything for 24 hours. And some people think if you don't respond to the offer immediately, you're thinking about raising your price or you're doing something. So I've had a number of them jump in and think, okay, I better just pay full price. So that is a strategy I hadn't thought about. And because I do have the strategy, I don't want to be recognized as accepting all offers regardless. So when I get an offer, if it seems reasonable for that card and its scarcity, generally I'll accept it. But sometimes I find that I, I mispriced the item or I'm, I priced it so long ago that the price is no longer appropriate. It's really not worth it. But why people don't grab it by making an offer, they're pointing out to me that already what is a great deal, they want to get an even better deal. To me, I have the opportunity to reprice it if they make an offer because it's a mistake that I'm correcting. Finally, I know I said yesterday that this was the coldest I'd ever been inside, not outside, but inside. And I think I misstated on that. There was the blizzard of 1978 in Bowling Green and actually six people died. So very serious. It was the confluence of snow and cold and wind on that very flat part of America. So there were huge drifts, drifts above doorways that were blocking doors. People couldn't get in or out of their houses and apartments. I was on the second floor. You'd think that would be good because heat rises, but there was no heat to rise. I was single. I was a professor. I had a two-bedroom apartment. My second bedroom contained my cards, and I had a very nice collection at that point. I made the mistake the second evening when I was so cold, I turned on my gas oven because I did have gas, that was a mistake because with everything closed up, it didn't take long for the gas to carbon monoxide. But I was groggy and I turned it off 
and just threw a fourth blanket on. But my collection back in those days was, just to give you a, a, a reference point, was pretty complete in baseball. This was January of 78. I had pretty much all the tops and Bowman baseball cards and play balls and Gowdies. I didn't have a complete set of T206s, but I had some of those and some of these other more obscure things, a lot of regionals, hot dog cards, post cereal, all that stuff. Not so complete in football, basketball, and hockey. I had some sets in all those, but I wasn't as actively working those because at that point, I wish I had now, but at that point, my first love was baseball. I didn't have a Lajouet in the Gowdy. I did have a 52 Tops Mantle. So again, that's the kind of stuff I keep at the bank. But uh, what I did is at that point, right around in there, I embarked on, which I only did for a few years, on trying to get autograph sets and to do it, to piece them together. So I started sending off autographs. I'd been doing that, uh, requesting autographs to the mail. And then one day I got an offer over the phone and it was sometime in 77, 78, probably 78. I got an offer. A guy called me that was a well-known dealer, a guy that did deals. He said, I've got a deal for you. I've got 10,000 autograph cards. I need a thousand bucks for it. I'm buying this big collection and I'm parceling out the autographs. I thought you might have interest. I'll tell you folks, that was uh, a really good deal at the time. But I don't think it was a steal. At that point in the industry in 78, there were stars in there, but there were no tough signatures of these deceased guys. So the stars were easy to get autographs because most of them sent through the mail. It was just autograph cards of good players. But the really tough signatures of guys that had been deceased, this guy, and I think had taken it. But again, the Sports Card Insight, if somebody offers you a really good deal, you need to take it for two reasons. Number one, it's a really good deal. And number two, people quit offering you deals if you don't take them. So there wasn't a long list of people that were going to stroke $1,000 in that day, but I was a single professor. And so I said, I'll send you a check. And so again, I think our trust was such that I sent him the check while he was sending me the cards and it, it, it was great. Again, some of them were really easy autographs. It's still 10,000 cards that are autographed. I still have some of them because there was a lot of duplication. Again, over the phone, he explained it all to me. There wasn't any way to email or give a list. And I just trusted him. He trusted me. We did it. So isn't this a great hobby? I'm thankful that we have power now. I'm thankful that I have good vision, that I have a good sight, and that I can enjoy the visual aspects of the hobby and that we live in a, a part of the world that has really reliable power 99.9% of the time. But of course, it was the 0.01% of the time where we got caught this past week. I just say, be grateful that you're alive right now. It's a really exciting time to be in this hobby. Last week, notwithstanding, very blessed to be a collector and to be safe and warm and, and have a, a collection that I really enjoy. And again, thanks sponsors. Thanks listeners. Hope you've uh, weathered the storm as well. And I look forward to more normalcy as we move into 2021. Thanks again and see you tomorrow.